Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. For it too, I think white people are terrified of the word racism more so than they are of actual racism. I'm sweating right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let the color. Have some questions, but don't want to see me the podcast here it's by not being funny but with Lena ho 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 I am the summer bunny of goodness welcome back to I'm not being funny but I have not been here for a while so thank you so much for sticking with the podcast welcome to season two I am so excited I'm not being funny but is the podcast where we ask the questions we pretend we knew the answers to or the ones we didn't think to ask. Previously, we've asked what's it like to be suicidal? What's it like to have a mad mum? What's it like to vote leave in the Brexit referendum? Are activists assholes? And what am Ireland? Today, though, we're going to be asking a question I am super uncomfortable with, which are always the questions that are most important to ask. Very early in my publishing career, um, I was sent a proposal from Yomi and Elizabeth. They were on a journey to publish this incredible book, Slay in Your Lane, the Black Girl Bible answer to lean in and a more expansive answer to how not just to survive, but thrive in your work environment and also in your life. I immediately thought, like a lot of people did, that this book had a huge market. It had so much to say, clearly, from the outset. But like I think a lot of young people in small businesses, a lot of walls were put up against new ideas. From time to time, I would internet stalk them, check on their progress. And finally, I was so excited to see see that Slay in Your Lane was coming out in the world and I immediately contacted Yomi and Elizabeth and was like yes asked them to come on the podcast and we recorded this in January it is now July and the book is out and I couldn't not launch this season with this most incredible episode with two of the most powerful and hilarious women I have ever met but before we get to that a little bit of a thought that the world is a little bit soggy at the moment, a little bit sad, a little bit saturated with negativity. So I thought I would inject a little section into the podcast. If you don't, if you don't mind, if you don't mind me, it's going to be called the Gumption Roundup. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm one obsessed with the holiday. In the holiday, there's this character of this old uh, film director who talks about this element of gumption in certain characters that makes them main characters. At the end of the movie, uh, Kate Winslet's character shouts, I think I finally found something resembling gumption. And um, after loving that film, I looked up the term gumption and it means to be shrewd and spirited. Gumption is an idea I go hard on in my own life. I have named my Patreon group after it, the Gumption Club. Uh, and I wanted to put this segment in for the kind of 
the gumption filled news that are the, the things that I can highlight that I see around me that are good that are pushing forward logically and with spirit by no means am I saying that there aren't bad things happening in the world um, but sometimes I think algorithms make it hard to spot the good things so here are a few things that I've spotted lately that are brilliant of course who could forget repeal the eighth happened I cried a lot mainly at the grandfathers protesting who were like, we trust women. Um, and also at the home to vote photos of all these women coming back to Ireland to vote. Of course, we still have to work on all of the women who don't have those rights, uh, especially in Northern Ireland. But I think for a lot of women this year, that has been a moment of, wow, things are rolling forward and changing overdue as they may be. In other jubilant bloody news, finally, the giant pandas are no longer technically extinct they're obviously still struggling but it looks like all of those wwf panda stickers around my life throughout the years and throughout my growing up are slowly starting to take effect as reported by the national geographic giant panda populations in the wild have risen steadily by 17 percent in the last decade didn't want to pander too much to the animal lovers out there so that will be my last mention of animals in this podcast uh, but i just had to shoot that towards you <laughs> okay i'll leave <sighs> Anyway, here's one that tickled me. Uh, the Bradford Telegraph, or otherwise known as the Telegraph and Argus, uh, have turned off their comments section. They printed a section in their physical newspaper to explain to readers why they'd done this, and I quote, The decision to turn off comments, at least for now, has not been made lightly. It was intended to give the vast majority of our visitors a well-deserved break from the tedious juvenilia of a minority who cannot be trusted to exercise free speech without embarrassing themselves and offending others. (laughs) Um, It made me think about all the ways that um, local newspapers are hilarious and also necessary for the communities. They can be so much more agile and funny and opinionated. And sometimes that's a bad thing, and sometimes that is an incredibly good thing. Um, I bet there was just somebody sitting there who was just like, I'll just fuck off. (laughs) I can just picture some long-suffering, well-intentioned old guy called Angus who's just sitting there trying to run the Bradford Telegraph. And it's just like, do you know what? No, they can have their opinions. They can talk about them in their shops. They can talk about them in their pubs. They can talk about them on Twitter, but they are not talking about them on my website. And have respect for that. Do you have respect for that? Let, let me know. But that's that's how I initially feel. Pussy Riot, always a fave. Uh, saw one of them speak at Stylist Live this year. was absolutely blown over. They invaded the pitch at the World Cup. Don't know if you saw, but some of the football players high-fived them. And I loved it. I was here for it. Uh, they are also going to be at Greenbelt Festival in August. So I'm going to get to see them talk again. And uh, my voice is shaking, apparently, with how excited I am. Lastly, on the Gumption Roundup, they are legalising marijuana in the UK. Whoa! Don't get too excited. Just for the Just for the people who really need it. From what I can tell, it's a pretty strict medical legalisation, but all the same, great. There were so many kids that were really struggling without that natural medicine. So I am just a chatty girl on the internet, not a news presenter, so I will leave links to everything that I found uh, in the show notes. You can check them out yourself. On with the show. I would like to give a very warm welcome uh, to Yomi and Elizabeth, uh, who... I went into the interview with a lot of like sweaty, nervous questions uh, and came out not just with this sense of 
of such encouragement and like awe at their intelligence and their drive, but also just a really warm, fuzzy like feeling that you get when you're around two people who are best friends and just click. It's just this infectious kind of warmth that I couldn't get over like for days afterwards after I met them. Um, so I hope you really enjoy this interview. We are asking. <laughs> Is my workplace racist? Oh yeah, also two things to note when you listen to this uh, interview for context. One of them is that both Yomi and Elizabeth met at university, that is Warwick University. Uh, It's a university that I used to clean. I used to be a cleaner at Warwick University, so we had a few conversations about that before uh, turning on the mic. So if we reference that, that is why. And then also, um, Yomi calls Elizabeth Polly sometimes during this podcast. It's just an affectionate name, she explained. Um because Elizabeth is a lot smaller than her so she's like a Polly Pocket Uh, so that is also something that if she refers to Elizabeth as Polly that is it's the same person that is why um so here we are is my workplace racist let's find out yeah so basically yeah thank you for or in advance for humoring Mm -hmm. my comments because I, I always try to read shit and it's this thing of like I always second guess myself for like what I'm going to say, being like, why am I asking that of you? Why, why can't I work that on my own? Do you know what I mean? I'm like, maybe, do you know what I mean? Maybe I should do some work. And I've been trying, but I was like, I, I like heard about what you guys are doing and I thought it was really fucking cool. And obviously I'd seen your proposal before it was like signed and mm. I was like, this book needs to exist. Why isn't it existing? Mm. Um, so I wanted to talk to you a bit about like the road to like getting that signed, how you feel about it. Um, but I thought before that, I wanted to ask you some questions because obviously like you're talking about being a black person in the workplace or being a black woman in the workplace. Yeah. Um, but before you get to the workplace, you're in school and school's supposed to be preparing you for the workplace. And that's mm. like the place that you're like, you're only here so you can get a job and earn some money. <laughs> so like, yeah, simmer down. But um, like, how was your school experience before we talk about your work experience? Like, was there, a, was the school a place that you think prepared you for the workplace or like prepared you for how, I don't know how it is out there, <laughs> like out on the horizon of, the big of um, school. It's interesting. Yeah, like we just finished school. writing a chapter yeah, um, yeah. about um, the first years at school. Yeah. So up until we had your GCSEs, and um, I, I signed it out, basically saying um, there's loads of things that really need to kind of change in the education system, and all of those things need to kind of work together to raise the self esteem of black young black mm-hmm. girls. Um, so I think I start from there in terms of self esteem because I think that's. In terms of your question, how does it prepare you for work? I think life is all about self-esteem, especially if you spend so many, if you spend like so so much time at work, and the what you learn in school is all about helping your self-esteem in 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 so to get where you want to go. Yeah, and and it, it kind of dawns on me that my self-esteem was all over the place, and it's it's different to I think Yomi's um yeah. kind of school experience, but my school was like um I went to primary school in Peckham. So like it was it was it was it was good. It wasn't. It, I wouldn't say like I was put in the top classes or anything like that. Mm, mm. Um, and I wouldn't say because it was like discrimination because we were all black kids. So mm. it wasn't really a like mm. single 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 me out. Um, and then um, secondary school was really I guess where they where tears matter and they when they set you. Um, so I think yeah I, I think my kind of like school experience was like a knocked my self esteem at different points and then it was mm. me kind of trying my best to kind of convince myself and my, I, I could see my other friends my other black friends doing the exact same thing um in terms of they'll get a grade and they wanted they they had ambition to do well but i just don't think they had the kind of confidence and they had the kind of um the tools in order to to kind of get the grades they needed so one of a key term in the book that in that um one of the women we spoke to um 
they it, she calls it the long the backdoor route to success mm. so they eventually they eventually got there but it just took a bit of time yeah you go like mm. the long way around almost yeah it's like yeah mm. and did you start noticing that that was different for like you yeah like, i think i think that was my kind of i think i had I've, i always tell them the story that mm. i basically got my gcses and i was just like I want to be successful, and it was mm. just—it was just yeah. that. Okay, go. Yeah, <laughs> it was just that. So I yeah. think, and I and I look at where I am now, and in a lot of my friends, and we we all had the drive to be successful. And I don't, and obviously success is defined by by many things, and it's not mm. necessarily everyone's got their own version of it. But um, I know that it, it was just—it was a choice, mm. and it yeah. wasn't because I had like loads of people that believed in me. It was just like a choice to just be like, no matter what, I'm gonna just do my best. So. Mm. I want to get yeah. to the, the but is there a recognition there do you think at a young age that it was like there was something to fight against or there was something to go around you know if you go around to the back door yeah. <laughs> you're like you must have known there was like, you're like okay we can't get in the front door like, <laughs> and I think it wasn't it, I guess it's definitely a black thing um, but it's also very much a working class thing as well mm-hmm. um, and your parents knowing exactly how the school system works and mm. what's come like to back for you in terms of in te- for certain teachers mm. so I think it was I think it's just uh, like the lack of social capital that I just think I think a lot of working class um, people just don't have and they it's hard then to kind of know exactly how to kind of help the children um, mm. in the education system because yeah so you kind yeah. of you do you so you do get a bit disadvantaged by it mm, but yeah. but I think that's very different to Romney's yeah. kind of experience in yeah, kind of I school. think yours is a lot more inspiring to be honest <laughs> <laughs> it really is because I look at it and I'm always like me and Elizabeth both ended up at Warwick we both um, you guys met at uni, didn't we you? We did. We met in first Beautiful. year. I can't wait to tell you guys how. It's so <laughs> such a brilliant story. But um, we both ended up at work. We both graduated with the same grade. We both got our two ones. And the difference between us, I'd say, is that I was kind of singled out from quite a young age as some sort of like wonder kid. Like everyone was like, "Oh, you're really intelligent, and you're gonna like do really well." <laughs> so <laughs> I was really lazy. And I think when I'm trying you're to like, talk cool, to other, I'm a prodigy. Honestly, I'll sit back. <laughs> No worries, <laughs> which obviously really bit me in the ass when I'm. Um, you have to swear. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Thank God. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> After that wine, there's no way I'm going to stop about that. It. But yeah, um, I sometimes was... there weren't any other adjectives. Like they <laughs> honestly, when they invented the a polite adjective for, for fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. We'll use it anyway. But sorry. yeah, um, um, we both ended up like in the same place, and it was really different routes. And I think um, for me, I was everyone kind of told me I was always really smart, so I was like, I I don't have any real recollection of. It sounds really whatever, but honestly, of working hard, <laughs> I really coasted throughout secondary school. I really coasted throughout primary school. Um, my original sort of talent before writing was was art, so I we could really draw. So everyone was like, "Oh, you're this really gifted kid." My parents used to be like, "You're really gifted," and in a lot of Nigerian homes, the most important thing is grades. So you know, I was like, I wouldn't say I was a terror, but I when I was like fourteen, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, me and Nika, who's my little sister, we want to go to this bashment rave and it ends at like six a.m." And my parents were like. Are you getting names? I was like, yeah. Oh, okay, so you can go then. I'm like, okay, great. So, you know what I mean? I was like, great. You know what I mean? I remember once I went to this like lingerie themed this store. I don't know why I always tell this, but it was like this lingerie themed lingerie themed yardy party, which literally ended like seven a.m. And everyone that went was literally like thirty four. And I was like, oh, I like to dance. Oh, I'm going to this thing. So I literally was like wearing this like corset, <laughs> tiny like shorts, and I was like, mum, I'm going out. And she was like. Oh, I kind of took a look at the report card and was like, oh, okay, you're doing all right. It's all right, oh, you've got off the trot. I was like, okay, great. So I, you know, I had no issues because like yeah. um, both my sisters who are both massively, massively intelligent, they just, 
um, you know, I'm a big believer in the fact that the school system is really rigged towards certain types of intelligence. I just happen to have the type of intelligence that on paper works for, within the school system. So both my sisters, who have now done really well, they initially, like, they kind of had a route like Elizabeth's where, you know, teachers miss certain things. They will say that you're less intelligent than you are if you if you can't necessarily play the game. So my parents would, like, threaten them with, like, oh, you're going to send you back to Nigeria. I got none of those threats. Yeah. Like, you know, I was never sent to... Oh, no one was saying, oh, we're going to send you to boarding school. Everyone was like, oh, you're fine because you're doing really well in school. Yeah, go so. to that party. Do you know what I mean? Do what you want. Exactly. I was, like, oh, living my, I was literally living my life. Like, no issues. And I couldn't relate to any of my friends, like, relate mm. to anyone when they were like, oh, yeah, like, I'm really struggling. I was like, oh, it's, oh what? Oh, it's just English. You just write a couple of words. I was like, oh, it's fine. And then I got to uni. So, no, sorry, it was college, actually. Got to college, did really well. And then I remember um, when it got to the kind of my dad, who he has like a really, not to sort of get into his story, but he's a really interesting person where he is from a like village in Nigeria and he managed to get from there to Edinburgh University. <laughs> like they did really, really well. Yeah, he's really, really like absolutely like, just sort of like, you know, I, mean, I wouldn't say he believes in like I mean, Ameri- that's like geographically a lot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you have excellent traveling skills. <laughs> exactly. So he's really, really gifted. So I think he was a big believer in just kind of like, you know, he knew a lot about the university, um, like league tables and, you know, how good, like good certain unis were against others. So he was like, I want to go to Ox- Oxbridge, Oxbridge. And I was like, oh my God, like mm. I had the grades on paper to go, but I just remember thinking like, this is just not for me. Mm. And I remember that I really wanted to go to um, Queen Mary because I wanted to study law there. And I was like, oh, it's really ethnic. And like all my friends were black. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I really want to go there. And my dad was like, no, like, you know, you've got to think about the bigger picture. I really wanted to go to Oxford or Cambridge. And I had a real thing about it. And I was kind of just like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know why. I just think, I just thought oh, it's going to be really white. It's going to be really middle class. I mean, mm. I'm from Croydon. I was like, I really don't, <laughs> I'm not really trying to go to Cambridge or Oxford. Um, and then even when I was at college and they were sort of advising us on where we went, where we should go, I remember they said they did this whole like assembly, like sort of showcasing where all the students were off to. And even though I'd applied to Warwick and been given... Uh, conditional offer they didn't include me in the like warwick lineup i think i told you this mm. they'd like there was this you know really kind of ironic not ironic like stereotypical it's literally this blonde head blue-eyed girl <laughs> that who <laughs> actually honestly this Aryan girl who didn't get into warwick in the end they were like oh she's off to warwick and then i don't think they even included me or they included me somewhere else wow. i can't remember but i don't think they actually did include me um so already i was kind of just like why do people not think i'm gonna go here like i had the grades like whatever um and i think my whole oxbridge thing was definitely more about how i saw oxbridge as an institution and how i thought i'd get on there and i just i just genuinely didn't really want to go but then um coasted throughout school and had no real kind of hang-ups about you know how well i do and then i got to uni and then it was like, oh shit, you really can't just write things and get A stars. <laughs> you actually have to know what you're talking about. And that's when I genuinely was like, oh my God, I'm actually not that smart, guys. Like, I was like, wow. <laughs> I don't want to love anybody. I got a third in my first year because I was just like completely shit. And it really humbled me. So I was just like, wow, I genuinely thought I was this like, you know, mini female black Einstein, but really I wasn't. I just knew what to say, how to say it to sort of... um. Yeah. you know rig the system and that's why that's I, pretty that's a lot of emotional intelligence though to be like, yeah oh, honestly i, I swear people are working it was crazy want, i really knew want. i was yeah. like okay so if i say this mm. in english lit and but like i know i didn't believe certain things it'd be like oh what do you think the curly's wife's hair signifies and i'd be like well it shows that she's promiscuous because the curls <laughs> show the shapes of a woman's body it was like yeah. bullshit i was just making yeah. it up but i knew that's what they wanted to hear i didn't actually really engage or believe in any of it mm. um but that's why when i say things like oh i think elizabeth's story is more inspiring is because i do believe a lot of types of intelligence slip through the net 
because we are so box ticky. And I just happened to be a lucky black girl who's who was able to tick those boxes and I had a dad that was that sort of knew what universities would like you know help me in life so he kind of like he was my parents were very hands-on in terms of my education um Mm. they were very much like oh you're great you're really smart but then unfortunately that did mean that like when my sisters weren't doing as well it was quite like you know they berate them to be honest and it really was it made me feel really guilty as well because it was kind of just like I'm not even trying to do well. Me doing well was not because I was a well-behaved child. It's not because I was a good child. I just it was just sheer luck. But my sisters who were probably trying as hard as me, even if that wasn't that hard, it's like they would get in trouble for just doing exactly what I was doing, which was disguising and not not doing that, not trying that hard. If that makes sense. But I was just luckier. So yeah, yeah. That was my school story. (laughs) (laughs) And you guys met at uni. How did you meet? I want to hear the story now. It might be off topic, I don't care. Love it. Oh, I remember. Oh, obviously not I'm like, like let me tell it. My was favourite it? story. <laughs> I love the story. Many people I met. Which is exactly two weeks of And that's so representative. When you when you hear the story, you know that's exactly, it's so representative of how our friendship started because I did like her more than she liked me <laughs> from the beginning. But clingy. It was, I was clingy because um, I don't remember how we actually met, but I remember... Um, we both have our different moments of when we decided, like, oh, I like this girl. But mine was because, probably you're going to remember this story, I was wearing this is leggings. like that when I realised I love you. <laughs> <laughs> when I realised you were the one. Honestly. Oh, I realised she was the one before she realised. And I was like, oh, I love her. But um, I was wearing leggings. And they were see-through. And basically, I lived in different halls, which was called, you know, Cryfield. You, you, yeah, you know, I've seen yeah. Cryfield. You've seen Cryfield, <laughs> right. That's where the poor people the dirtiest, yeah. Not the dirtiest, though. It's, it's the PhD ones that there weren't. Anyway. <laughs> I had to pick period pants from oh. behind oh, a radiator with a Lord stick. God. And it was like three months worth. Anyway. That is oh actually. Some person just was like, I don't want to clean them, so I'm just going to put them That's behind the radiator. And I bet they were the richest oh, person there. You know, you know it was probably yeah. the richest people yeah. that did that. Why well, clean? Because I just said it's a deposit. Get your deposit back. Yeah, yeah. You probably know how to clean. Exactly. Like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I was in, in Cryfield and across the like lane or whatever was um, Benefactors. Where I swear they literally shoved every single black girl in Benefactors, which is where Liz was. Yeah. Loads of black girls were randomly from South London. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of the black girls were there. And then obviously <laughs> I was like, were like... I think they ah. really did. They were like, okay, seeing lots of surnames you don't understand here. Let's just you know, group them all together. <laughs> make it a bit a bit easier for admin. So then literally like I went there and was like, oh, all these black girls, loads of them are Nigerian. want to beg friends with them. And then I met Elizabeth. And one day I was wearing, I will never forget this. I was wearing see-through leggings. Um, not intentionally, by the way. Not that even if it had been intentional, it should have mattered. But it was an accident. I was wearing see-through leggings. And we had a night at the SU called OMG. And by complete, like, I don't even know, mistake, like, fate, whatever, I happened to wear knickers that said OMG on them. <laughs> and my leggings were see-through. So I was walking and I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, let's go to OMG. And then someone was like, oh my God, one of your leggings is see-through. It says OMG. And I was like, oh, that's crazy because we're going to a night that's called OMG. Huh, what a happy accident. And just kind of carried on with life. And then everyone started being a little bit slut shamey and was like, oh, like, just kind of making me feel guilty and bad about People it. People feel weird about leggings. Right? People and just the see-through Why does everybody give a shit? So I was just like, I'm just trying to live my life, guys. I want to go bless you. And then Elizabeth, and it was so funny because Elizabeth had actually, like, gone to a girls' school and had said to me before that she was kind of like, you know, like, she's cath- she was Catholic. Mm. And, like, of all these girls who were kind of all, like, you know, cosmopolitan and kind of more, supposed to be more open-minded and stuff, they were being really like, oh, which is your knickers? And I was like, guys, we're 18. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> 
All the white like, girls are having a good time. Why can't we like, live our lives? Do you know what I mean? Like, let's get a bit laid back, guys. And obviously, I was quite liberal, quite like, all mm. like, you know, YOLO-ish. Yeah. Everyone was doing a bit kind of like respectability politics and being like, oh, why are your knickers showing? You'd be like, we are, we are at university, but it's I mean? a commentary postcode. I was so 18. <laughs> I was like, let's get pissed, guys. And then, like, um, I went, I remember I got really upset, and I went yeah. to the toilets, and I actually, like, started crying. <laughs> I was not really upset. And then, of all people, it was Elizabeth who, like, opened the door and was like, are you okay? Blah, blah, blah. And I remember just thinking, this is my kind of bitch. I was like, I like her. I was like, I like this girl. Like, she's a real one. She sees past the leggings. Honestly, she sees through the leggings, literally. <laughs> and you know, oh my god, this is so perfect. Like, I think we had a massive argument randomly, like a week later. And then Elizabeth said that she like was like, okay, clearly we're never speaking again. And the next day, I was like. Hi, it's me. And she was like, I thought we weren't talking because we had an argument. I was like, Oh, I'm not letting, her, I'm not letting you go that so easily. Relationship oh, no Shrek and Donkey. I was like, Literally. in the morning we're making waffles. Like, like, Fuck off, Donkey. She was like, like Who is Shrek? Who is Donkey? Well, that's a, that is a question. But yeah, I honestly was just like, she's great. And I was like, and I swear to God, I remember thinking, Hmm, I'm not sure if she even like is that keen on me yet. But and I swear, I'm the opposite of this. Normally, I'm like, if someone doesn't like me, I'm like, Oh, fuck you. But I literally was like. Oh my god, this girl! I don't know if it was the spirit of slaying your lane, being like, "This girl's gonna make you loads of money down the line." (laughs) (laughs) But something was like, "You've got to be friends with her." So literally, when I could tell she was being a bit like, "Okay, the girl, like, go away," I was like, "Hey, girl!" And then I literally borrowed my way into her heart, and now she loves me so much that she came to live with me. (laughs) And that is the story. story. Even holding onto her ankles. Honestly, I've literally been like. She cannot get rid like, of me. Yeah, She's yeah, tried yeah, so yeah. many times. Crab in the barrel. It never. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, you're not going. Insane. But yeah, that's our friendship it. story. Yeah. So then, like, you graduated. Really? You got the jobs. Excellent work. Yay. We made it to adulthood. <laughs> at what point did you guys start talking about race and your workplaces? Like, at what point were you like, hang mm. on, Cheryl Sandberg talking <laughs> shit? <laughs> because it's weird. Like, I kind of read li- Lean In and kind of got it from a bit of a privilege level where she was like, I just met these people at a party and they let me go to. Mm. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know how to get into these parties. Yeah. But at, but I, I it didn't really occur to me about like the race thing mm. and how it wouldn't really be applicable until I started like reading articles and being like, oh shit, yeah, that was not in it. Mm. Like, how how did you guys start talking about race and shit like that? Being a black woman, I don't think it's something that you think about. It's just your daily life. So mm. um, I think you notice it when people treat you differently or you feel just a, something just feels a bit off. Mm. And then you you like think about the million other reasons why someone could be would act a particular way towards you. And then they don't make sense. And then you land on... Oh, I've ran out. Of, yeah. Is it because I is black? You're like, yes, it is. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. And a lot of the time, that's just yeah. If I'm going to a restaurant and them just being a less, a little bit less accommodating to, you know, like there was one day that I was in Canary Wharf, um, like I I worked there and then I mistakenly gave some. Well, I was in prep, mistakenly gave someone um, the person around the counter um, a, a sandwich to eat up, and then this woman. I, I was in her way and then rather than just tell me verbally she kind of tapped me like quite harshly yeah and she was a white woman and it was just very in much Pratt. like yeah it was very this much is, like, like this she is was like, where the fucking battlefield is Pratt is the battlefield <laughs> honestly I was like well, not, we, weren't, we weren't even in a vegan prep we were just like <laughs> in a normal prep which is what you'd expect the vegans exactly the vegans love the vegans the meat the meat you know goes right but yeah it was just, it was just really weird um, 
Mm. And I just, it just took me back because I was trying to work out why would she do that. But, um, but yeah, but to answer your question, um, I think, yeah, race and working out, like race is something that's obviously daily occurrence. Like, I don't think there's a, there was a particular moment that really kind of like, um, that I could pin, pinpoint. But I think for me, I working in one of like the biggest brands in the world, you kind of get, you kind of, you're used to kind of, people treating you just a bit differently mm. um depending on how they think they should treat you and how and what 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 they see on paper so for me um in my short career i i was finding it hard to kind of articulate certain things and i work in marketing and it's all about being being able to kind of articulate how you feel about someone's piece of work so i think for me there was i was clashing a lot with um with with people and um it just became apparent that my style wasn't suiting um, a particular um, a, it wasn't suiting the environment mm. and I was quite I'm quite lucky that I did have a manager who kind of recognised that and was like okay there's there's definitely a like an, an issue here what 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 it what is it sort of thing and um, yeah it just became more apparent and I think I just became more frustrated about about the lack of like I just I, yeah I became more in his words and like a bit of an activist and just being able to say guys I'm black I'm gonna say things in a particular way not because I'm black, but it's because I have a different background to you. Yeah. So yeah. just be a bit more accommodating. Did um, you Did you say that explicitly? Um, you were I like, think... if nobody's noticed, <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna. Yeah, I'm coming out as black. Yeah. Hello. I think, so. <laughs> I think I can't remember, but I think I think there was the there was I think by the end of a particular week, it just became more frustrating, um, mm. and I think the more I was given more responsibility, then it became it became more apparent that like. I needed and if you're more if you're stretched as well in terms of the work you do you're going to make mistakes mm-hmm. so I think for me in the workplace it just became that my mistakes were just a bit highlighted more than, than other people's and um so yes yeah, so I don't think there was a kind of pin there was a moment where I thought oh my god like this was this was yeah like this is a racist mm. workplace and I think it's more no. just like kind of like slowly like oh, yeah I don't like, and that's we've thing. eliminated all other suspects <laughs> exactly I, and I, I think that's the kind of thing that I've, I've come to realize for like three years in and um in i don't think it's a racist i don't think these places are like racist overtly i think they just harbor a lot of unconscious bias and i mean mm. we talk about that all the time and that's like a buzzword of like the last how many years but mm. it, it is because it's true because these, these unconscious bias then determine the culture mm. so i think the culture i then found it really hard to thrive so i think as a black person you can do well in these sort of like companies to mm. an extent um, and I think the question is, everyone asks, where are we at the top bit in the middle? Mm. We get stuck. And I think we get stuck because there is the culture. You find it hard to kind of thrive. So you, you survive and you do your day to day. But mm. in order for the, a company to get the value out of anyone, white person, black person, anyone, you need to be able to thrive. And I think if they don't speak the same language as you, mm. um, not literally, but and make you feel comfortable mm. in being yourself, then you can't really get your... You can't really get, they can't really yeah. get the best out mm. of you. So that's just that's just how I I how I felt about it. To be honest. Too many questions can drive someone mad. So why don't we listen to it? When ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I think maybe like Lean In must have come out like five years ago or something. Yeah. There was like loads of buzz about it. Did, how did you feel about it when it happened? Did you kind of, did you read it? Did you read it? Like, this is for Liz again. Because like, <laughs> this very much leads into the whole so thing. Yeah. Came about yeah. No, so, um, I'm one of those people that I'm like I always say to Johnny, I don't I don't do anything for pleasure's sake. Mm. It's all about <laughs> it's all Make about that the bloody truth. <laughs> I'm telling you, she's really Nigerian <laughs> to the T, like it's insane. Like if it's if it's not some, it's not gonna make me money. I'm, I'm not sleeping. Oh, She's I'm, like, what's a hobby? Yeah, hobby? you pay but without the you for no money. Honestly, <laughs> oh, yes. honestly, I can't. If I'm not working, I'm like, okay, so what am I doing with my time? Yeah. I'm like, like there's, I'm, my mind is always, always working in my head, um, mm-hmm. or thinking about work. So, um, so for me, it's um, when I kind of graduated, I was like, oh, cool, I'm on this road to self improvement. Like, I, I don't have to, you know, go to lectures and everything else, but I want to kind of, you know like you know be a boss and all that sort of stuff like oh yeah hashtag girl so boss. basically um and yeah so like it was my 21st birthday and um mike's boyfriend got me like all these books and stuff like i don't know what he was foreshadowing but he was he got me all these books and and, and um like it had like the defining decade in it and it had um it had lean in i read the defining decade mm. i loved the defining decade it really had and it was all the slide in the side shit about like when you accidentally live with somebody without actually choosing them <laughs> and they just appear in your flat. Anyway, sorry. I don't think I got there because I was very like, I, I, I literally worked, read the, the work bit. Um, it also made me panic about like turning 30. I was like, these are my formative years. Scramble. I thought I was supposed to be getting drunk. You've got to make I'm drunk right now. now. <laughs> I'm reading the book. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. No, 
no, no. Um, yeah. So yeah. So I, I, um, it was, it was good. So I kind of like you know read it and and, and everything, and like oh, I, I haven't got really you know really negative any negative things to say about it. But I guess there's limits to it. It didn't really speak to me as a young mm. black person, um, young black woman. Um, and even when the new there was a, there was a second edition that came out and it had like um, a chapter by Melody Hobson mm-hmm. and she's a um, a really prominent black no, African American. And it was it was a it was just a couple of pages but that spoke to me more than I guess the, the majority whole book, the whole yeah. book. But it, for me, this didn't seem enough. So, mm. um, one of those weeks that I was having um, at work, I called Yomi and I was like, "Oh my god, I don't know. Like, someone needs to write a book to, to that speaks to young black women because like I'm kind of like like finding it really hard to navigate at the moment. Um, like the bookshelves it, it clearly don't have it." Um, I've gone on the internet, blog posts aren't going to be enough. Like, mm. it needs to be a comprehensive guide that talks about. And it, at that point, I was just focused on work because, like I said, I, I don't do anything mm. that's not necessarily. <laughs> for not that's money. Exactly. So I was like, how do I thrive in life? Because yeah. as much as I love these books that written for white women, by white women, and even white men, they're, yeah, they're, they're limits. Applicable. They're not, there's like mm. unspoken things that in the workplace that I just don't get. So can you can you write it? And then like conversation later, Yomi was like, let's just both write it together. Um, so that's how basically Staying Lame was kind of born. Mm. It was out of like that kind of out frustration. Out of, like, kind of like, this doesn't exist. Literally. Thank We've you been Cheryl Sandberg. Nobody's fucking doing <laughs> yeah. it. Literally. Thank yeah. you Cheryl Sandberg. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Honestly. You, what, how did it go like that conversation about like doing it together? Like what was the... Um, I say this all because the time. Obviously, Elizabeth is trying to like push you to like. I need to. Really, you're the journalist, <laughs> honestly. And then artistic handwriting. Could you write me? And I was like, Elizabeth has this like. Honestly, this whole episode is just gonna be bumming Elizabeth. But honestly, like, she has all these ideas that are like. She, she hates has, me more. Oh, I do. I'm like pinching on oh, the table as I say all these. You're behaving very nicely. <laughs> I know, but I have to be honest. It's like we're in your house. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> as soon as we step out, don't be like kicking on the shit. But yeah, like she has all these ideas. Like she just literally shits out these like million pound ideas, and then she she won't do them. And then, like, a year later, we'll literally go on Instagram and it's like, oh, yeah, this person's doing this thing. And then she gets really annoyed. And I'm like, but, Elizabeth, you made this, this up, like, three things. years ago. So when she was like, oh, yeah, you should write this book, I swear, everyone asks, like, oh, how did it come about t- together? I'm like, because she told me the idea and I just literally, you know, it's like the cartoon, like, fucking dollar signs in the eyes. I was like, this is brilliant. I was like, this is so clever. And I was like, as your best friend... I could not run with this clearly excellent idea on my own. She was actually gifting me like <laughs> this like brilliant, like life-changing formative thing and something that was massively important. So, and then not just that, obviously I was like, we're best friends, so like I'm not gonna just make all this money without you. Yeah. But on a like, you know, level, you know, like I'm not corporate at all. Like I'm like a journalist, yeah. floaty, artsy type that's like, oh, does money matter? I guess. Like, you know what I mean? And she really like, like I can live off air and I like, you know what I mean? And like love. But like, you know, like she's, she says this now. I say this now, now I'm like, <laughs> two years later, later. Two years later. Exactly. She's eating lobster and champagne. <laughs> 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 our dreams. But yeah, like she um, has the whole wealth of like corporate experience and like she was able to spot that gap primarily not just because of where she worked mm-hmm. but because like she she was actually like sort of really well versed in those kind of books books that I'd like never really sort of I mean I don't read enough as it is when mm. I was reading it was like not stuff like that um and I just never really been geared towards those kind of things so we really I think like it really has been like a proper match made in heaven thing because it's like if I'd have just written it it really would have just been like oh my god boys because we have like a dating chapter <laughs> and it'd be like oh my god boys oh my god hair oh my god makeup like it really would have had like no substance whereas like 
Polly like brought all this like proper like stuff around work and like you know we then were able to move it into health and all these things and it just became a proper like guide to life black girl bible thing because mm. we both are really similar but really different so we're able to bring different like i suppose sides of the coin to it yeah. but when elizabeth like pitched it in bird commas she was 22 and i was 23 mm. and we were like both kind of in our first or was it second or first jobs i think you were in your second i was in my third my first permanent job. Yeah, first permanent job, yeah. both of us. So we were like, who the fuck are we to like tell these black girls, like, girl, this is how you slay when we just started our first job. <laughs> yeah. So we yeah. were like, okay, bun this. Like, we actually need to go and speak to like women who are slaying and have consistently yeah. slayed. And then that's how it turned into, let's interview like this wealth of like um, amazing black British women. So we spoke to like um, Mallory Blackman, Amara Sante. Karen Blackett, the yeah. chairwoman of Mediacom, Vanessa Kingori, who's like now the publisher of Vogue, like yeah. Clara Ambo. We just spoke to like loads of different women. Uh, loads of, like some of them are around our age. Like this woman called um, Florence Adepoju, who I think is around the same age as us. She's mm. like a beauty entrepreneur. Um, Sharma Dean Reed. There's loads and loads of women from like media, from like business, from like loads of different. Like, I mean, there's an artist mm. called Laquena who's like um, an amazing street artist and like. Um, yeah, we spoke to all these different women and we're basically trying to show that like not only can you thrive in anything as a black woman, um, there's women of different ages, different backgrounds. Some of them are privately educated. Lots of them are from working class backgrounds. Lots of them are the first people in their families to go to uni. Lots of them didn't go to uni. Um, like someone like Charmaine Lovegrove, who is the publisher at Little Brown, she you know went to uni very late. And, you know, she, her experience was very different to someone like Afua Her. She wrote British, who went to Cambridge. Yeah. So, um, and she went, like, obviously at 18. So we just spoke to all these different black women and were like, what were your experiences? How are you thriving? Why are you thriving? How did you get there? Because we just didn't have the range mm. <laughs> to tell these people how to, like, live their lives. Yeah. So we interviewed all those women and then basically, I think there's 38 of them. It's amazing. It's insane. I don't, I, sometimes I look at us and go, what were we doing? It's going to be amazing for the final book, but the actual process was ridiculous. Yeah. Because we had jobs. <laughs> yeah. was like, it was insane. Yeah, like... It's like calling like, into work. We should have written it myself. <laughs> we're but sick. Then that's it. And yeah, we're like going to do these four-hour interviews. How these things happen though? Honestly, like how ridiculous. They get made, like, yeah, exactly. It, it was. It's going to be amazing for the final thing, mm. but it was just the process was insane. But we spoke to all these different women about all these different things: relationships, health, money, entrepreneurship, um, work, and then we got their experiences and then put it into this one thing. And they're like, "Oh, it's the Black Girl Bible," and yeah, that's pretty much how. Yeah, that's how the book actually how came about. How did people react when you asked them for interviews and explain what you were doing? Were they like, oh, maybe? Or were they kind of like, that needs to exist? Or like, what's the... So most women, honestly, I'd say pretty much every single woman that we've asked was like, this is so important. This is like absolutely mm. crucial. We need to do this. But between those women is obviously agents. And a lot of the agents are white men, white women that on paper, they look at it and they're like, what is this black girl bible thing what yeah, and like, let's be honest exactly and i think when people see the word black in things and black girl black woman they immediately devalue it so when we're coming we're like no 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 we really want to interview this person for this thing and it's going to help loads of black girls people don't immediately see prestige they don't immediately see importance whereas you know if we're like oh hey we're from the times and we want to you know people are like oh my god yeah this is really mm. important we're from the bbc but we're just these little two I mean, I hate to keep spinning the aren't two South London girls like coins and a But honestly, Cinderella, <laughs> glass shoes. But honestly, we really were just like, hey, we're these two black girls, and we really want to interview you for this thing. And at least, obviously, once we got the kind of like legitimacy of a publisher, yeah, that helped. But when we first was, you know, sort of asking for interviews, we were just these literal two girls with an idea, and we were like, hey, we really like to, you know 
um, interview you about your life and get really personal with you about all the racist things that have happened to you and then your love life and then your health and, all, and your finances <laughs> just to help all these other black girls. You yeah. know, trying to convince people that that was something that they should do. It's not, even when they believe in it, it's like you have to get through the gatekeepers essentially. Mm. But that's why the first sort of women, like, you know, B.B. Brown, Amara Sante, big sort of household names, like, you know, Amazon is like a BAFTA award-winning director. Vivi Brown's it's like de- defining musician, and it's like we were just like, hey, we have this idea, and they were like, sure, like you know, we don't know anything about you, and we don't know what you're doing, but this sounds important, so we're gonna do it. And a lot of like, yeah, most of the women like were 100 percent like that, and mm. I think pretty much everyone once we got past the agents was like that. They were like, yeah, of course, this really matters and stuff, but you do have to sort of get in between. Yeah, yeah, the people that are going like to say to them, this, oh, this is a random yeah. thing. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was, I think it was definitely a positive I thing. I think as well, it's like this thing of like, this is literally the next thing. Because I think a lot of the time, like, diversity is a, obviously a buzzword that gets a mm. lot of, like, hype. And it's, it's ex- exciting for a few people. Yeah. But obviously diversity is the thing that's, like, includes everybody and benefits yeah. everybody. So if you write something that's just for black girls, they're like, but that's not... Diverse. Yeah, those things like, have been just for white people forever. It, and, yeah, and it's that thing of like recognize. It's the next bit of like like of like white work that needs to be mm. done. Where it's like, okay, so we need to include everybody because that would be great and that would benefit yeah. everybody. Oh, but now we need to talk specifically about people, which yeah. means admitting that we weren't specifically talking about them yeah, before, exactly. and that's yeah. what's really hard for people to hundred percent accept I, and stuff. Because I think diversity is the reason why it's a buzzword, and I think it doesn't mean many. I think this journey of like my 20s and mm. writing this book I don't think it means anything anymore you've been saying you, that she <laughs> hates it like, the D word she really hates it the D word she's like don't, don't make it up in the D it's just, it's just an excuse it's just, a, it's just what people it's just people just hold it up as, as something but it really isn't because it's a lived, lived experience it's not just about being black it's not just about it's about being working class. It's about being able bodied. It's just there's different things, mm. and these are lived experiences. And I think what we need to talk about is inclusion. Because I think that's what we're asking for. We're not mm. asking for diversity. You know, I'm a black woman. You know that you we're very aware that we're mm. different. Everyone's yeah. different. But I think it's understand. It's it's that inclusion and it's that seat at the table that we want, and it's and it's understanding that because we want this because we have a value to add, not just because. Because like, we think that yeah. like your catalogue should have like, better. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. My, your perspectives could benefit from my black face. That's just not gonna <laughs> as pretty as it is. Exactly. You know? like, so I think I think yeah, I think that's where the conversation really needs to start happening. But that's mm. where the real change is, not I think mm. diversity is just like Yeah. Not gonna solve it. Because I think like so what I was thinking before in this episode is so all of my episodes called like I'm not being funny but mm. and like asking you lots of oh. questions. So I wanted this episode to be called I'm not being funny but is my workplace racist? <laughs> because again, because there's this thing of like, I like how, you know, there's lots of things, I think diversity is like being like, yes, we have a black person, yes. but also mm-hmm. an Asian person. You can exactly. see that in the middle, this girl is from the Midlands. But it means that even like, what's awkward to like, think about and talk about is that there's lots of people that are in these workplaces but still don't feel included, even though they're uh, on yes. the payroll. Yeah. And like, how how do you navigate that? How do you like say, yeah, you've done diversity, how do you go a bit further? Mm. <laughs> But um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, like, I, I don't know. I don't want to ask this of you because it's obviously a thing that we need to fucking think about ourselves. But like, how do you tell if your workplace is racist? How do you go? Actually, 
here are some measurable ways that I'm mm. like, this is definitely what's happening. Because I mm. think a lot of the time I've had bosses that are white men and I've been like, hey, we should publish this book. Mm. I don't know, some some fictional situation like mm. that. Or, um, you know, we, we don't employ anybody who isn't white. Like, do you think that's a problem? Mm. And there's a lot of defence there. And it's it's a lot to do with, like, I think, like, heritage and being like, well, well my parents weren't wrong. I mean, my, my industry, there's a lot of pride yeah. around industries and, like, it gets a lot of people's backs up. But, like, mm. would, is there any, like, is there a way, like, is there, like, little things that you can say that you're mm. like, this is how I noticed that my workplace is racist. You should probably watch out for it, too. I think white people are terrified of the word racism mm. more so than they are of actual racism. I'm sweating right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm like, the colour is. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, how can you tell if your workplace is racist? Well, you know, your if your workplace, I mean, I hate to say it, but if you're, this is just me. I'm not speaking on behalf of Samuel Lane, but if your workplace is in the United Kingdom, there is a high probability that it might not be racist, but there will be elements of racism in it. That doesn't mean that those that that racism is intentional, is active, is you know, in it's not necessarily something that people are trying to do. But you know, what Elizabeth is referring to is um, you know, unconscious bias. I believe unconscious bias is has its roots within racism. That unconscious bi- being biased unconsciously can lead to, you know, benign and latent racism. Mm. I think if white people were less afraid of the term racist, then we could have some really real conversations about what that means, the levels that it can be. Being a ra- being a being a racist and being racist or doing racist things are all different sort of levels of like essentially the same problem mm. you know being racist isn't always i think this is what really bothers me um especially when i used to sort of a lot when i was initially starting as a journalist and writing about racism on the internet you know people would argue with me a lot essentially being like well i haven't bottled a black person like <laughs> i'm not we haven't on, killed anyone we haven't <laughs> killed anybody i never call anyone a nigger and i'm like if you know the parameters of what racism is are often set by people that aren't victims of racism. So white people will be standing around sort of saying, this is what isn't isn't racist. Perfect example, Chris Hughes. Oh my God, I love Love Island so much. And I was so disappointed by this because I actually love Chris. But like, you know, two minutes into trying to infiltrate the grime scene, he's like, yeah, he's rapping along to the motto. And like, you know, a song that I've even watched black people omit the N-word from. He's like, he cannot help himself. He's like, I was mid-flow and I said the (laughs) N-word. And you know, all these white people underneath, I swear hundreds were like, oh, come on, man, it's just a song lyric, like, it's not racist. And I'm like, excuse me, you aren't victims of racism. Yeah. You can't say what is and isn't racist. Like, he made an apology, and then people on the behalf of the black community, white people on the behalf of the black community, are being like, oh, it's all right, mate. Oh, come on, son, we all make mistakes. And I'm like, it's none of your business. Like, it's actually none of your business. Mm. So, like, in terms of, you know, how do you work out whether your workplace is racist, I feel like most workplaces have unconscious biases and I don't believe that's an indictment on I think it racism and all these kinds of they're so much bigger than workplaces it's a properly like you know institutional systematic thing it's Mm. it's you know someone said something like it's woven into the fabric of Union Jack people don't like to say to hear Mm. stuff like that but at the end of the day we live in a country where you know we've still got things like you know the, the Cecil Rhodes statues up we've got like things that are sort of you know giving a latent and sort of you know they're legitimizing colonialism yeah. without actively and 
obviously so. doing so, but we're not out here decolonializing. We're not out here saying that these things are wrong. We're not out here, you know, banishing things that are still, you know, landmarks and celebrating. We're like, oh, we're just quirky. Colonialism, do you know what I mean? Yeah. We don't even talk about colonialism in school, in history. We act like this is something that didn't happen. So, like, when, for instance, like, I had an incident at work where everyone would just constantly use the N-word around me all the time. Like, it, whether it was in storytelling, whether it was, like, you know... I mean, someone was talking about how their nan used to call trousers nigger brown, and someone else was talking about song lyrics, and was like, yeah, because he's like, blah, blah, nigger. And I was just like, wow, I make the effort not to say nigger in the workplace, and I'm the black one, and you guys actually don't give a shit. So I sent around this really, like, passive-aggressive email, and was like, hello, everybody, I'm the only black person that works here, and I really don't like the fact that you guys keep using the N-word. I can't believe I didn't put this in the blog. <laughs> remember this with, like, yeah. yeah. I remember I was like, yeah, like, you know, I really don't like it, and I'd yeah. really appreciate if you guys didn't do that anymore. And rather than anyone kind of engaging with that and being like, oh shit, maybe I should think about how that makes this black person feel. Everybody got so defensive. Mm. And that's why when I say like, I believe most institutions in this country, and I've said this in the book, like, you know, I believe like most schools are racist. I believe most, you know, the police force is racist. The McPherson report, like said that itself, that, you know, the police force is institutionally racist. I believe most bodies in this country are they have elements of racism and that, and I think what white people need to do is address what racism is. It doesn't mean that anyone's saying you're out here lynching black people. It just means looking at somebody and seeing someone else and treating those people differently. It, that difference doesn't even have to be that big. It doesn't have to be that market for it to be racist, if that mm. makes sense. So, you know, you see one CV and it says, Kehinde, like, Akitobi. And you see another one that says, like, Kenneth Andrews, and you know, you're immediately kind of like, Oh, I can't be bothered. To I knew a Kenneth once. Do you know what I mean? Like, exactly, <laughs> even if it's not you binning Ken days, yeah, but it's yeah. you being more drawn to Kenneth, that's racist. And you know what? That doesn't have that means, doesn't mean you have to fling yourself off a balcony and like start crying about it. It just means that, like, it's it's an unconscious, unconscious sorry, bias. In the same way, I'd argue most workplaces are sexist. I'd say pretty much every single institution in this country is ableist. Mm. That is one of the biggest, like, you know, things that we don't talk about at all. Most places in this in the country, if not the world, are ableist. We don't think about, you know, our dis disabled peers at all. Mm. When it comes to things like ageism, things are ageist. People aren't worried about being accused of those things. As soon as you say, oh, maybe your workplace is racist, people are like, but my workplace isn't, you know, calling black people niggers. It's like, yeah, no, but, you know, they're probably seeing some, one person's CV, seeing another's and thinking, you know, implicitly thinking things about one CV. So, you know, I don't think there's any way to particularly know, but I, most, honestly, most black people I know have experienced some form of prejudice or discrimination and it doesn't have to be people shouting at them because they're black. A lot of the time it's something as small as, like, you know, I had a friend that's a Sikh and he was asked to be the... Um, I think he was asked to sort of oversee this Christian, like, do you know what I'm talking about? Mm. Yeah, he was asked to oversee this Christian, like, um, like think tank thing or something. And he was like, why would you ask me to do that when I, I can't, I can't remember what it was, but he was essentially asked to do some sort of thing that involved him in a religion that wasn't his. And they just kind of not taken his religion seriously at all. And mm. he was like, yeah, he felt like it was really kind of brushed under the carpet. And it was kind of like, would you say that that's aggress an aggressive form of racism? No, but it's probably, you know, quite likely racist in terms of not taking into consideration something as intrinsic to him as his religion. Mm. I think if white people wanted to, there were levels to it. They probably wouldn't get their backs up so much about stuff. But yeah, I think most workplaces are racist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, that's the, they, the bow. God, I really got yeah, into it there. But I, no, but I think it is a thing of like, just because you're not killing people doesn't mean you're respecting them. And like, it's just, it's like- Thank you. A thing of like, 
uh, like what we said earlier was really interesting when you were like oh, I don't know if I want to go to Oxford or Cambridge because mm. I don't know if I'll fit and like I think there's that thing of, of like a few bosses that I've had or people that I've met in the industry have been like well they haven't applied <laughs> so what am I supposed oh, yeah. to do and it's that thing of like well what have you done to persuade them that it's a good mm. place to work what have you done to you know like I think there's an assumption that it's like well they're obviously gagging to come into our industry <laughs> we've let a few it's like thing, do you know what I mean as well yeah, and I guess 100%. it's that thing of like how many when you think like oh there's not that many black people at Oxford and Cambridge it's like well how many didn't apply you can't yeah. that didn't feel like that they made, were welcome. exactly yeah because discrimination starts a lot earlier than that doesn't it exactly than, mm. yeah, than you cast yeah much before how do you feel about because I think as well there's like definitely enemies in everybody's own camp so like with me it's like I need to go and talk to white people like <laughs> do you know what I mean I'm like I need to I'm gonna, I'll, be, I'll be back in like five years um, but again it's like to do with feminism in that like I think that in some ways like I'm tempted to be like oh yeah I know how you feel because like I've been treated like that as a woman mm, in the workplace mm. and it's completely fucking different mm. but when you start unpicking the patriarchy you can be like okay you're acting in the same way as you did with that yeah. um, and it's still a problem like how do you react to like do you, have you ever had things from people that you thought would be on your side that have been a bit like do we need a black a black book about a black black book do we you know like has there been anything mm. you know less from those people who are like in positions of huge power mm. and more the people who are like black people or all white oh. people mm. um Maybe like people who are feminists who are like, oh yeah, oh like the the typical male feminist that's like ah, the terrible. <laughs> what a breed! <laughs> I think everyone thinks they get it. Yeah, like I think I like, I get. I think everyone thinks they get it. Mm. And I think that's probably the barrier. I think I get it, but mm. I don't. I, I was writing this book. My eyes got open more and mm. more and more, mm. and then I got it. Even to this point, I wonder. I think I won't. I think by the time this book comes out. And the amount of black people, black girls that we share their stories, I think I'll I'll get it in a different way. Mm. So I think I think we have to have a conversation as opposed to kind of it be like oh okay this is how it is. I think mo- I think yeah I think we don't realize like we don't join the dots until later mm. on. The more people talk about stuff, exactly. but um, but not not anything that's specific that I can remember. Mm. Yeah. The only thing that I can think of is when you know obviously with publishing being like massive like massively inverted commas like diverse at the moment and everyone's like oh we love diversity i find it really ironic when me and elizabeth went into a um one of the people that pitched for the book because we had like nine publishers and we're like oh my mm. god this is amazing we're like wow because we always say if this was written like five ten years ago we doubt we'd even have one publisher like sort of like i think you're it. just on the cusp of it we were so lucky like, okay we'll do and that and it's the same because elizabeth didn't really go you know what diversity is trending let's like it literally <laughs> yeah. was organic so we're just very very lucky but um after all that spiel when we went into one of the meetings they were like oh do you think that maybe it'd be like you know advantageous to broaden this out to like make it about women of color rather than black women and i found that really kind of like surely reading our proposal women of color need women of color need their own thing if that makes sense like asian women chinese women or mixed race women every women every women every woman that has a specific sort of experience that is then intersected with them being a female like needs their own kind of version of slaying your lane or some sort of guide but we so specifically like not even just made it for black women we made it for black british women because mm-hmm. we were like you know we have such a specific experience and we were like yeah this is really like tailored to you know the black british female experience blah 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 blah. and for them to then after reading our proposal and like sort of you know purporting to understand why we'd made it that way for them to be like oh you can make a couple bob by like you know making this 
babe. We were like, but then you flatten out. Like me and Elizabeth are we're both like, Or you could just give women. me a couple of arms. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, to do what we are, we're asked to yeah, do. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, we are both black women and we are writing not only from our own personal perspectives, but we've interviewed a number of black British women about their experiences. And then to then be like, oh yeah, just make it BAME because then it'd be more marketable it then showed that like they weren't really invested in what we were actually trying to do they just kind mm. of thought oh like, you yeah, know how can we get quick rich yeah. like, do you know what I mean? so yeah that was this fit as many exactly and before. exactly tick as many boxes and i think that's the only real thing that comes to mind where i'm like oh i thought you were on our side because they were really kind of doing yeah let's kind of get this diversity thing and we're like well, can, like, can you like include everybody do you know diversity? what i mean <laughs> literally and we're just like yeah it was it was quite disappointing but most yeah i think um that was the only thing that i can think of yeah that makes sense um, do you think there's like so when you were like interviewing people and like picking people to interview like obviously you picked people from those different industries mm. did you like notice anything different about different industries because so there's, there's this like like stereotype I was reading about that's I kind of like it does make sense in my head mm. but I think people are like oh yeah people are really willing to accept black people in like sport and music mm. and apart from that they're still confused mm. <laughs> like do you did you notice any difference in, in like what industries and like you're speaking to um and how accepting people yeah work. so like obviously you're in the financial sector yeah and like is, do you think that's different from like the arts or in what women said yeah um you're like, you have to no, find, you have to read no, the books, find out. Yeah. <laughs> like, that'll be 12 please. <laughs> 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 oh, maybe oh, more yeah. than that. Oh. Maybe more. <laughs> I'm impressed. It depends, you, you don't know what you're getting. So. <laughs> um, no, I think the perceptions of people, like, I think that that's the perception people have of, like, young or just black women in mm. general, black people in general. But mm. I can't say that there was particular, I think, no. I was literally going to say the I same thing. I can't really... I think people just have perceptions of black people full stop and have perceptions yeah. of black women full stop. And mm. um, I think what's really good about the book is that you do get various black women from mm. different industries at different levels um, all kind of doing their own thing and their mm-hmm. own kind of journey. So um sounds really bad. Unconscious bias in the music industry. There's stories, in there, there's stories that will go into the book that very much relate to mm. just sitting on the top floor of Meryl. Mm. It's just, it's just... It's just pe- like how you see power. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's really it. Exactly. I think people, people will be assholes regardless of yeah. what industry they're in. People will um, have a version of you because of your, your black skin in, in, on the street and dancing is very much mm. similar to if you were in like, you know, um, um, yeah, like, high rise exactly. Like, yeah. So people's biases, they're very strong, so they will permeate wherever. wherever, wherever. Exactly. Consistency. Yeah. Exactly. Racism definitely consistent. I was going to say, with the music industry, yeah. like there's so people like, oh yeah, they accept black women in music, and I'm like, okay, where? Like when you look at the British music Not industry, exactly. When it comes to grime, it's like you know. I guess they have no choice at the moment. And I always say this because it's a young genre. It will mm. take some time before it's appropriated. But, you know, I have no doubt it will be. And I'm like, for now, uh, there are, you know, black people, of course, like permeating, like not permeating, just at the top. But then I'm like, where are the women? I mean, there's some, there are a few sort of black women that are sort of like, you know, you know, as talented as the male MCs and artists. Mm. And that goes for singers as well. But it's, it's really interesting to me that in a genre like, you know, R&B, like soul, all those kind of things, people talk about like the MOBA awards and how a lot of the artists at the top of that are even white men. Like you get Sam Smith, you get, what's the bloke in the hat? 
James Bay, is that, is that his name? Mm. Or oh, whoever he is. I hope I'm right. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> whoever he is, you guys are like, who? There's just so many of them, honestly. But there's all these white men at the top that basically are like awarded and patted on the back for inverted commas singing like black men and black women. Mm. And black women in, you know, R&B, the R &B, like, you know, in making soulful R&B music in Britain are penalised for it because people are like, oh, it's boring. Who cares about a black girl that sings like a black girl? But if you're a white girl that sings like a black girl, that girl who sings like Rihanna, Rihanna, I can't remember her name, but she's blonde and she's like Swedish or something. Um, um, Iggy Azalea. No. <laughs> I was like... But I can't remember who she's... She's really pretty, this one. Her name's Zara Larson. You took my fucking name. This one's called Zara Larson, and it's like, um, there's loads of these people that like flourish in the UK charts for being white and sounding, inverted commas, black. But then black women not really particularly sort of you know making regardless of talent they're not they find it really difficult to sort of like you know infiltrate like the music scene and do really well commercially mm. um so yeah even in places where we're supposed to invert commas like do really well like music and stuff like mm. those biases still exist um things like colorism like looking at different people of different skin tones and stuff all that kind of shit exists you think oh it just matters in films and casting and music how light-skinned you are but people even say even in corporate spaces if you're light-skinned compared to a dark-skinned yeah, kind of casting, exactly still exactly they roles. still They're will still... put certain narratives on darker-skinned black women than they will light-skinned black women so it literally mm -hmm. is just everywhere yeah so like in the book like for for people who might be like black girls listening like you do you give like kind of like obviously it's like us two this mm. is how we feel this is what we're going through um, like what kind of things would you say to them about about how they can deal with it or or ways they can like still I, I don't even feel like I can say the word slay am I calling it <laughs> say the word slay I, can't, I don't get away with it I don't, I, think, I don't think I can get away with saying the word lit anymore honestly <laughs> I think I think you'll, you'll totally uh, fight we're far too old <laughs> I, think, I think everyone can say the word slay we stick to our generation <laughs> which is like skiing and like shoves and like we've got to stick to our own slay <laughs> Um, I think, yeah, I think the good thing about the book is there's so many different bits of advice and loads of the women from different industries, they've got their own kind of like ways that they've dealt with it. So for example, like in the microaggressions chapter, um, we speak, we've spoken to a lot of, we, we acknowledge what the problem is and there are different ways to address a microaggression and none of those ways is going to suit your style depending on like like who you are and the type and the location and who is doing it and just and yeah it's just a very different factor so it's not really there isn't going to be like it's hard to kind of advise people how to act when someone is saying is, is says something like a microaggression to them or acts in a particular way so what that chapter does and what a lot of the bits of the book what it, what it does do is give you the kind of tools and the experiences of women and experiences of our, like mm. our experiences to kind of guide you to kind of make up your own kind of version of how exactly. you want to deal with a particular situation. So mm. it isn't going to be a, this is how you deal with it and that's it. It's, mm. this is how this woman dealt with it. This is how we interpret that. This is mm. how another woman dealt with it. And at the end of the day, it's up to you. I yeah. think that's how, even the dating section, um, it, it's very much like the, the chapter I wrote is about settling and all that sort of stuff. No one's going to tell you to marry someone you don't want to marry. Like if you want to marry, if you want to hold out for that unrealistic version of the prince, that's 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 you go, that's, you go that's, for it, darling. Like, it's 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 your it's your prerogative. Mm. Um, but if you want someone that treats you nicely and um, loves you a lot, but isn't what you've bought on paper, 
then that's that's also your property. Exactly. So it's all about choice and it's all about basically I think that's what the book really does well, if I say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just gives you it just kind of like it's hundred twenty thousand words just basically <laughs> this is what it this is what it is. Survival mm. and the mm. between different experiences you navigate the different within the different stories and some bits will really speak to you because that's your personality type. Mm. Some people are more introverted, I'm very um, I'm, yeah, I'm extroverted and mm. borderline aggressive. And, yeah, forthright. <laughs> That's and, a nice way. Yeah, <laughs> and aggressive and, and really like, you know, um, so that would, so my personal type would suit one of the particular women who's saying, um, she dealt with microaggressions by, by like turning around and saying, how dare you treat me like that? Mm. That's just, that's my style. Not all women are like that. Mm. And, we, and so some women will take it in a different way. And, and we also provide an example of like how you can do that through an education route, educating mm. your colleagues. So mm. it really depends. And it's, I think, I think, um, I think that's the really beauty of like all the different chapters. There isn't, we're not telling you this is how this, this book is going to help you conquer the world and slay. Mm. Exactly. It's not that it really isn't. Mm. Um, and, but it is going to really provide some you some examples of how exactly. other people have. Exactly. Exactly. And some really good advice because mm. if anyone was going to give you like they say like a village takes a village to raise a child but mm. we've collated like some of the most influential black women mm. of our generation um and if that's if you can't find i guess some sort of inspiration in any of their stories then i guess it's i don't know it, it, <laughs> we, then we honestly don't know <laughs> yeah but like this person doesn't work exactly. like, you're right you're up yeah. you know what i mean i think yeah, yeah i think i think of all, of all the things we've i think we've done a really good job yeah. in, in assembling all of this but it comes kind so of full circle like the first question i asked was about like um education and like how you felt like a lot of people didn't have that much mm. confidence and it's kind of like being like here are some people who did the thing exactly yeah. you can probably do the thing and a lot like, of them started in the exact same place as yeah. these girls would it makes it so much more relatable and just realistic because you know you went to private school and you're black mm. and you studied this okay here's this woman but you yeah. know you're from a working class background you're, pe- you're the first person mm. in your family to go to university here's this person you want to do art or something creative here's this person you want to go down the mm. corporate route me and Elizabeth always say you know you cannot slay your way out of systematic racism <laughs> you just can't <laughs> yeah. you cannot you know there's just not like, an axe big enough just, exactly <laughs> there's not an axe big enough there's not a like Beyonce anthem big enough to just like come up against the yeah. things that we're up against but yeah. what you can do is have a you know cohesive like book of advice that helps you come across sorry come against like real problems and sort of find real practical solutions to them and not even just i mean the advice is obviously amazing but just the inspiration because a lot of i think what black girls lack a lot in this country especially is representation you have to see it to believe it a lot of the time so you know advice can come in just physically you know vanessa gory exactly vogue the whitest publication ever is like got a black male editor it has a black um you know beauty editor it has black um, and I think Adoa Aboa is like another editor of something. And then the publisher of Vanessa Kingori is a black woman who's been interviewed for this book. You know, I mean, as someone who's young, doing, I want to be a journalist and stuff, Vogue is obviously one of those like amazing publications. I never thought I'd see the day where the publisher of Vogue was a young black woman. And there she is. So sometimes it's just about reading how they got to where they are and knowing, oh shit, okay, if I want to be this high flying lawyer, because we've got one of those, if I want to be a space scientist which we have if you want to if you want to be a presenter if you want to be a street artist that's you know able yeah. to make a living off what she's doing and be massively successful mm. at it 
if you want to work in books, if you want to work in whatever, if you want to be a massive actress, and you know, if you want to be a director, there's there's one of each pretty much like person yeah. doing what they're doing. And it's that thing as well. It's really interesting. It's like it's not that you have to write them into being. It's like they're already they're fucking all there, there. But maybe they're not being talked about or covered. And that and is the thing we always spoke about the invisibility of you know like yeah. these women where a lot of them are obviously you know June Sarpong is in this like everyone knows who June Sarpong is. Jamil is in this. Mm. Kishi Buchanan. But there are other women that are far more you know that I if you ever told me the chairwoman of one of the biggest like agencies in the world mediacom is a black is a black woman i just wouldn't i mean you would karen know. blackett i had no idea you know mm. i mean elizabeth was standing from day like she was like oh my god there's this amazing black woman mm. she knew mm. loads of women beforehand but that's because of the kind of person elizabeth is always looking for mentors and you know like mm. older sister figures whereas i literally just didn't know half of who these women were and then it's like coming on that journey i'm like wow there are so many black. I mean, the half of the list is like OBE, MBE, blah blah. They're all doing amazing. Like, turns out they're already fucking running. Do you know what I mean? It. They're all right there, and it's just but you know like, they just don't yeah. necessarily get the same visibility as their white male or female counterparts. That's just yeah, like, or even black male counterparts. Yeah. To be honest. Last question. Yeah. You're like yeah. Oh, you're off to party. Oh, yeah, you're like, yeah, you've got to get, you've got a party to go to. Yeah, we're pissed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Cinderella. We'll get even more like, pissed. Yeah. Um. So this book is obviously for like black girls who yeah. are trying to get ahead and shit mm-hmm. as somebody who's like one of those fucking awful white allies who's <laughs> doing a bad job of it and no, you know but, but, but like so there's this this danger I think of being like wanting to seem like the good one and it's like being like but I don't worry I'm not like other white people <laughs> <laughs> I'm like you know, tweet about this and shit but like what is it like a genuine way that people can like support the book and mm. like get it out there without being you know not without I don't know do you know what I mean <laughs> I know obviously, exactly like, what you I'm mean 100% gonna read it but it's not for me and you know it's something that's interesting to know about because I like you guys and I want to know I want to know the things <laughs> I want to be in on the secrets in but the um secrets. How, how can people who like it's not aimed at like help and you know champion it um, I think the, the real the thing is this, it is for people like you mm. it's for everyone because I read books that I know damn sure they didn't write with me in mind <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and and I have to be a white old man Polly Bagshaw yeah. 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 Tilly Bagshaw I love her white woman books <laughs> so I think I think it's like really important I think people like you are really important mm. to kind of talk to about these things because it's all about the conversations it's all about like when you have a meeting at work like you go away and you write up the notes and everyone has an action and i think that's how this kind of book needs to kind of be approached mm. for people like you to yeah, read like, it your action point. exactly mm. and, and and like i and i think with my manager at work um we have a really open relationship where we do talk about um open relationship <laughs> we, <laughs> have, <laughs> we have a really good relationship where we can talk about these things and um and I told him to read um one no longer talking to white people mm. and we and he left and he was like mind blown and um and he shouldn't have really been mind blown because a lot of the stuff is very like yeah. this is this is real how can people ever say with I always see like reviews of stuff like the good immigrant where they're like it's groundbreaking it's so powerful <laughs> I'm like it fucking is but also like should it yeah. be bad <laughs> like was was the ground fucked absolutely <laughs> but I was completely fucked <laughs> sorry no 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 and, and so I and because of that conversation we were, we were then able to have better conversations mm. so I think that's where I think it's really important for like if we all have to live in this world together mm. and we all have to kind of understand each other's biases because mm. I have biases um, just like everybody else um, I'm just not in the power to kind of I'm not in a position to kind of you know excuse them exactly, excuse them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. She is because <laughs> very much my dude call me out I read that in a very rapture <laughs> 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 
<laughs> but um, but yeah, I I think it's all about like understanding each other mm. because I I know that I I've said this, I said this at the start of the podcast that it's all about culture mm. in a lot of these places. Like maybe this podcast can be about is your workplace is racist or not. Yeah. Your workplace, like Tommy said, it probably is racist, but the kind of racisms that you will experience, unfortunately, won't be these overt ones that you will be able to kind of, like, you know, like, it won't be those. Mm. And I think by more people who are white, who are Asian, everybody kind of reading this book, it's it's for black girls, written by two black girls. A lot of the kind of people who, a lot of the women that helped us on this journey are black women. Um, it's important for us to kind of share the stories, not mm. just for us to kind of sit in a room and talk about them and lament exactly. and go out there and kind of like want to kind of yeah, slay. it's not fight club. It's not, <laughs> exactly. It's for all of us to kind of have open conversations and by having open conversations, rather than feel defensive, it will help you see things better, which I think it will go, it will help in terms of culture and culture in workplaces because I think mm. that is the real barrier in a lot of black women um, kind of progressing to the next level because mm. by the time you kind of get your foot in the door, in the next last couple, in the, you're there for what two to three years. You're demoralized by the end of it, mm-hmm. and you're either looking to kind of start your own businesses, which is a lot of lot, a lot of black women tend to do. Mm-hmm. The highest um, when they leave their kind of corporate spaces, they do that, or you go somewhere else and you encounter it for two three years. Mm-hmm. But we all know that if you really want to progress in a workplace, you need sponsors, you need people who believe in you and can pull you up at every stage. And that's just how, like, that's that's how you really thrive. Yeah. And a lot of these workplaces just don't have those cultures. Mm. So I think it's important for us all to read this book, have those conversations, and rather than, you know, all of us burying our heads in the sand, like, we all mm. have Yeah, be like, you guys discuss it among exactly. yourselves and let's yeah. know what you think. It's like, not, this, yeah. this book cannot be, be with, like, read in isolation. It can't. Because yeah. we all know this. And, well, we don't, not, I wouldn't say... M- not all black girls know what some of the stuff that we've written, but a lot of black girls will read this and it'll feel cathartic and it'll feel comforting because they'll be like, oh, I recognise this. But what about the people that don't recognise this, that don't know this is happening? Mm-hmm. I remember I read somewhere that something like the oppressed group always understand the oppressor and the oppressor never understands the oppressed. So, like, my little sister always used to take the piss out of me and be like, oh, you you know how to, like, basically write like a white man because, like, I'd spent so much time, like, watching it out of 10 cats and, like, listening yeah. to the kooks and, like, watching certain things that, like, I literally remember applying for a GQ role. Um, I think I wanted to do, like, an internship there or something. And I was, like, really sitting there thinking to myself, I can really write like a white man. Like, I know how to embody <laughs> like, this... Oh, n- kind of you know myself. what I mean? This in, in virtue... In, sorry, in... Um, in what, inverted commas neutral tone that sounds really kind of like you know like rye and whatever I really knew how to embody that voice because I spent so much time ingesting like media that was just aimed I mean my favourite show is Peep Show like so yeah. I literally was like oh I can be Mark Korg and it's fine but it's mm-hmm. like your average kind of like white man or white woman doesn't necessarily you know they, they if you were then to ask them to like you know try and embody or like understand like a black woman it would just come out as a racist caricature because it's just yeah. like they don't they've never really kind of been forced to you know reckon what's the word reconcile themselves yeah. with like what black women do and what they think and whatever but we you know have ingested so much media for so many years like most of my favorite like films and like a lot of my like the music i like and stuff it, i know it wasn't created with most yeah most media like most of the magazines i used to like i grew up on the mm. teen magazines they were not created with me in mind it was like i was completely invisible in that world so we always can understand like what's going on in like you know white society but a lot of white people admit that you know they don't really know what's going on in terms of like how black women feel in terms of treatment so obviously you know this book is for black women it's by black women but of course 
it doesn't even just go for this. I think it's twofold. Like, white people and, you know, black men should read this book because it helps them understand the plight of black women and work better as allies and just understand where we're coming from and why we see the world in a particular light. But then on a more selfish level, I mean, June Sarpong, by anyone's definition, is a success. Maggie Adderin Pocock, you know, the space scientist, is by anyone's definition a success. And a lot of this advice is just generally honestly universal as in because what they're saying is just so smart and so savvy and so like you know honest that it's just good reading because they're just hilarious and just great and engaging but then just generally their advice is just second to none and in the same way that you know elizabeth was as much as she read these books that were aimed at white women you know was like this doesn't speak to me entirely you were able to get stuff out of it Mm. that was useful because you know whilst it doesn't embody everything that you are as a person when something's written well and when it's good and when the advice is good, it's still good. So yeah. people should read it because it's like, yeah, I can learn from yeah, these women. I'm in a neighbouring lane. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. I'm from the other lane. You know what I mean? And I just feel like, you know, we have, as, you know, black women forever, I mean, if you're a black British woman, especially, you spent so much of your life in ingesting experiences that are white and male but then also african-american mm-hmm. you know i'm like yeah i really saw myself in moesha even though she lived in like crenshaw and whatever and i'm like in croydon like you know it's completely mm-hmm. not the same yeah, yeah. so we learn to see ourselves in loads of things like nollywood which is nigerian it's like you know you really like grasp at things you don't really yeah. see yourself in british stuff at all so it's like of course that was like our main thing but any if we could learn to see ourselves in all these different kinds of things it's like you know when something is a well-written book you should be able to it, learn from it and be inspired by it wherever and whoever you are do you know what i mean so um yeah i think it would be great for allies to read but also just for anyone who wants a good read and for anyone who wants to learn stuff and yeah i yeah. think that's it really yeah everyone Oh, thank well, you. thank you so much. No, thank thank you. Answering my stupid questions. They weren't stupid at all. Really exactly. You really led us on to think they're going to be really ridiculous. <laughs> I was waiting to text Elizabeth, like, oh, oh she's from? a bimbo. <laughs> yeah. Where are you really from? We were waiting to be. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? Oh, she's going to be so dumb. Mate, those are great. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Thank I'm really you. excited about the book. Thank you. If there's questions you pretend you know are too scared to ask, then listen, mate, you're in thank you so much for listening to i am not being funny but uh, do tweet me suggestions of other things we can cover in this podcast you can join the newsletter Uh, the link to that will also be in the show notes of this podcast so you can get notified when new episodes go up do subscribe also if you're gonna do me a favor um it would be great if you could leave a review on iTunes, if you can, uh, telling me what you thought of the podcast, giving it some stars. It helps other people discover I'm not being funny, but, and therefore the, what I consider quite important conversations that we're having in them. Slay In Your Lane is out now. I cannot reiterate this enough. Uh, Do support them, buy the book. Pennies mean prizes. And by prizes, I mean a better world for all. I'll be linking their social media. So do check them out and follow them. Uh, is that all my parish notes? I think so. I think so. I think I'll leave you alone now. The theme music was by hell, exclamation mark. Do check her out. Absolutely bloody brilliant music. And until next time, I am logging off and bogging off. If you have some questions, but don't want to send me none, have no fear. The podcast here, it's fine, not being funny, but with you. What is Ireland? <laughs> if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.